just over two weeks since the dreadful terrorist attacks in Paris where 130 people tragically lost their lives. But our news reports are still full of the the heartbreaking stories of the victims as well as the the fear-inducing stories of the attackers and also the possibility of further attacks. And in many different situations, people have tried to express their sadness and their compassion and their solidarity with those who were caught up in that terrifying night. Week past on Monday, we had a minute silence. Then flags were lowered on state buildings across Ireland. Our president signed a book of condolence in the French embassy. And then over in England, the French national anthem was played before all Premier League soccer matches if you noticed that last weekend. Clearly, Europe has been shocked by these events that have occurred so close to home. And it's right that we should be shocked. And it's right that we should be sad. And it's right that we should feel that that sense of compassion and connection with those people who have been caught up in those events. But we mustn't forget that further afield, These kind of tragedies are happening with a shocking regularity. According to the University of Chicago, this year, 2015, there have been 441 suicide bombings in the world. In places like Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Pakistan. In Iraq alone, just this year, 2015, there have been 180 such attacks that have caused the death of over one and a half thousand people. And since 2003 in Iraq, there have been a staggering 2,000 such attacks in Iraq and 21,000 people have lost their lives. This is in no way to minimise the tragedy of what happened in Paris. Nor does it mean that it is wrong for us to care so much about the people who have been caught up in them. But it does challenge us, doesn't it? About whether we care about those other people in those other countries who have suffered again and again and again. Is it okay for us just to care about those who are near to us? Or does God also want us to care for those who are far away? In the second of the four servant songs in Isaiah, we see God's heart for the whole of this world. As the servant is not just sent to reach out in love to those who are near, but also those who are far away. I'm going to read from Isaiah 49. And verse 1, down to verse 6 this morning. Isaiah 49, and verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, He has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant 
Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hands, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my, my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. These servant songs, they describe the, the ministry and the message and the, and the mission of Jesus. And in this song, we can see that he was given a twofold mission. His initial task was focused on the nation of Israel. As I've seen, they'd wandered far from the Lord. The northern kingdom, they had rejected God. And they'd followed the idolatry and immorality of all the nations around them. And so by the time of this prophecy was given, they'd already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah had done a bit better. But ultimately, they too drifted into rebellion against God. And eventually, they were also going to be taken into captivity, this time by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. But God was going to send his servant to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. The initial ministry of the servant was going to be the spiritual restoration of his people back into the relationship with his Lord. Not that everybody in the, in the nation of Israel was going to be saved. That's clearly not what would happen. Because God said here that he would bring back those of Israel I have kept. God had preserved his remnant, the remnant of his nation. And through Jesus, he would bring them back to himself. And so Jesus came initially to the people of Israel to bring them back to God. He declared in Matthew chapter 15 and 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus came to restore initially those who were near to the kingdom of God. But his mission was much greater than this. In verse 6, it says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. To reach out only to the nation of, of Israel fell well below the capacity and the dignity of Christ. He was so special that he needed a greater mission. And so the Lord declared, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Servant wouldn't only reach out to those who were near, but to those who were far away. 
to those who were not Jews, to, know, to those who had been excluded from citizenship in Israel, who were foreigners to the covenant of the promise, those who had been without hope and without God in this world, into the darkness of their hearts, the servant would bring light. To those who were completely ignorant of God, he would bring a clear revelation of God's character and power. To those held in slavery to sin, he would bring freedom and forgiveness. To those who were completely separate from God, he would adopt into God's family. And to those who were lost and heading for a lost eternity, he would bring salvation. His mission was nothing less than to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. So yes, Jesus was born into the nation of Israel. As a Jew, he came first of all to the Jews. The members of God's chosen nation. But he also came for those who were far away from God. Who had no knowledge of God. Who had no hope of knowing Him. And this is the wonderful truth that we are celebrating this morning. That Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to, the, to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. As Gentiles, we were among those who had been excluded from God's presence. But because of Jesus, we have been saved. And we have been brought into God's kingdom. It's a wonderful truth to celebrate this morning. But it's also a truth to allow us to challenge us this morning. This servant song starts with a call to the whole world to listen to the servant. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. If the servant's mission is to be a light to this world, if he's supposed to be the ultimate revelation of God, the only saviour, the only hope for humanity, then whatever their nationality, or their race, or their background, or their status, or their religion, people need to hear the message of Jesus. Because he's the only saviour. But the question is, how will this happen? How will the nations, the distant nations, the world, the Gentiles, the, all the people around us, how will they hear this message of Jesus today? How can people today hear the, the, the salvation message of Christ? Paul asks in Romans chapter 10 in verse 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And the obvious answer is that they can't. 
unless someone goes with the message of Christ to them, then they will not hear the gospel. They will not come to faith. And they will not be saved. And so Jesus commissioned his followers to take his message to this world. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were to be living witnesses of the love and grace and power of Christ. They were to do this first of all in Jerusalem to those who were near them and those who were near the kingdom of God. But like their Lord, they were also sent to those who were far away. Both those who were far away physically and those who are far from the kingdom of God. You can also see this expressed in Paul's ministry. For example, in Pisidian Antioch. There, as usual, Paul, when he arrived and his team arrived there, they went first of all to the synagogue. To share the gospel to the Jews who lived in that town. But when they rejected the message, Paul declared, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul understood that just as the servant was called to reach out to those who were near and to those who were far away, So were they. That was their mission too. And so are we. This is our mission. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. As his followers, we have been commanded to shine out the words and the work of Jesus to this world. We need to start where we are. To start with those who are near to us. Those who we, who we live alongside. That's where we need to start. This world, the near world, would, would include maybe our kids, our family. Our other family members. Our friends. Those who come to church. Or maybe our other groups. Our neighbours, our work colleagues. Those that we live alongside all the time. We need to be a light to them. But if we are going to truly reflect God's heart, we can't restrict our love and our care just to those who are near to us. We also need to have a passion for reaching out to those who are far away. To those in our communities in which we have no relationship with yet. Those strangers who live around us. To those who are far away from God and have no interest in Him. No interest in coming through these doors and coming to church. Maybe to the other towns and villages around Ireland where there is no Christian witness. To those other nations in this world where the gospel is not preached, where Jesus is not known. Is that our passion? Are we living out our mission to reach those who are near to us as well as those who are far away? Or do we need to step up 
and get involved in the mission of the servant. Are we playing our part in the amazing global mission of our Lord? On our little bulletins this morning, just as you see in, in the notes there, there's just a little space for you. Maybe to write some names of those who you are reaching out to, those who are near to you. How are you getting involved in reaching out to those who are near? There's also space for those who are far away. How are you living out this mission in your life to those who are far away? How are we reaching out to those who have never heard or who don't know or who really are so far away from the gospel and so so far away from God? Of course, this isn't easy. There's nothing easy about this, is there? It's difficult to reach out to this world. Especially when so many people respond with rejection and opposition or even just apathy. Who cares? That's okay for you, but I don't have any interest in that. It's so easy to get disappointed or demoralized or even discouraged in this mission. That's why I think it's it's so encouraging that we get a glimpse into the servant's own struggles here in this passage. In verse 4, the servant says, I have laboured to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. The servant gave everything to fulfil his mission. He literally gave his all towards it. But on the surface of things, you could look at what he accomplished and said it was like nothing had been achieved. John 1 verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. After three years of intense ministry, the greatest of all teaching. The most amazing miracles. The clearest revelation of God's truth. Jesus really didn't have much to show for it. The religious leaders, the religious establishment wanted to kill him. The people, the crowds, they didn't understand him. Many of those who healed didn't even thank him. Some of his family rejected him. One of his disciples agreed to betray him. Another one denied him. The rest, most of them, abandoned him. It would have been so easy for Jesus to become despondent in his ministry. We mustn't think that Jesus was somehow immune to the discouragements or disappointments or heartbreak that we experience in our mission. He knows how tough it is when people aren't interested, when they don't want to listen, or when they just walk away. Jesus understands how difficult it is. And yet we read these words last week. How he will not falter or be discouraged. 
He did not give up. He didn't quit. He was committed to fulfilling his mission. And this second servant song contains amazing encouragements both for him in his mission but also for ours, us in ours. First of all, the servant, he was called by God. Before I was born, the Lord called me. This servant wasn't self-appointed. He wasn't following his own initiative or his own ideas. From before his birth, God had a purpose and a plan for his life. God had promised, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. He is called Israel here because he was called to fulfill what Israel, the nation, failed to live up to. But this was God's call in his life. This was God's plan. And no matter what happened, he could trust that God would fulfill his purpose and his plan. And God would keep his promise. And that's true for all of us who have trusted in Jesus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Before this world came into being, God called us. He chose us according to his plan. And his purpose to be a witness in this world of his grace and majesty and love and power. Our mission is not our idea. It's not our initiative. Let's go and do something. It's God's plan. And so we can trust that God will fulfill it. Secondly, the servant, he was formed by God. He who formed me in the womb to be his servant. The servant was formed specifically by God to do this work. Every aspect of who Jesus was, his family lineage, his miraculous conception, the place and the timing of his birth, all enabled him to fulfill the work that God had called him to do. If you're like me, then often you will feel ill-designed for the mission of reaching this world for Christ. You will feel like it just doesn't fit with you. That you're just not cut out for it. And yet Ephesians chapter 2 and 10 says this, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Don't feel that you're really designed for that. Don't really feel that you're really not really made for that. Well, it's just not true. Because we are God's masterpiece. Designed and formed through our faith in Christ to fulfill the exact work that God has called us to do in this mission to reach this world for Christ. The servant, he was also equipped for, by God to fulfill this mission. He made me my mouth like a sharpened sword. He made me into a polished arrow. The sharpness of a sword is about its effectiveness. 
the sharper the sword, the better it is in order to win victories close at hand. A polished arrow is one that flies true and straight and it hits its distant targets. So the servant, he is equipped to effectively and powerfully declare the word of God to those who are near and to those who are far away. And when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He took the responsibility to equip his disciples for the work that he was giving them to do. When he called them, he promised that he would equip them. And that's the same with us. When God calls us to serve him, he promises to equip us for the task that we need, that we face. He equips us by his spirit. He equips us by his word. He also equips us by his church, as Mary was sharing with us this morning. And the servant was also empowered by God. My God has been my strength. His strength was in the Lord. He wasn't depending on his own resources. He was depending on the resources of his father. And even although we too feel too weak, too inadequate, too limited for the work that God has called us to do, we can say, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. And I am helped. And so the servant He was called, he was formed, he was equipped, he was empowered by God. And so he was willing to wait on God. Verse 4, yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hands. My reward is with my God. The results of his ministry were not immediately obvious. The cost was much more visible than the reward. But he was willing to wait in faith for God to reveal the fruit of his service and the reward of his labour. And that's what we are called to do in our mission. It's great when we see instant results from sharing our faith. That's so encouraging. But for the most of the part, we won't see that. For the most of the part, we won't see instant fruit for our work. Often our mission is to sow the seed and to wait. But we can wait in expectation and in faith. Because we can believe that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. We may not see the results immediately. Our hope is in God. And He is always faithful. So this is the servant's mission. To express God's heart for this whole world and reaching out to those who are near and to those who are far away to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And as God's people, this is our mission too. Although it's a tough job, this is what God has called us and formed us and equipped us and empowered us to do. So this week, 
This week, let us go into this world with the message of Jesus. Let's reach out to those who are near and to those who are far away for his glory.